Amen, amen. Hey, thank you, JD. Springs Community Church, those watching online, those gathered wherever, local, far, man, it is a privilege to be with you guys again online. We're still doing this, as you know, to an empty room. Why? Physical distancing. We want to care for people. We want to respect, protect others, protect ourselves. But just like Jonathan said, we are not going to waste a minute of the potential to get after it. One of the things that some of you guys know, if you've been tracking with the Springs for the past few months, we've been working our way through a series called You Can Change. But we've been talking about all the different ways of change, how you change, what's a biblical framework for change, and what that looks like. I'm excited to share with you today. Today, we're going to end that series by talking about what is a final promise of God to you and to me, Christian. And if you're here and you don't believe and you're watching and you're wrestling with faith or you want to learn more about God, you'll get to see the heart of God behind it. But we're going to talk about what's one final promise that helps us as we pursue change. Before we start with that, though, I've been thinking about this past week, as I know all of us have, and really what I reflect on, in a three-week time frame, it's amazing how much has changed. Three weeks ago, yes, I was aware of coronavirus. Yes, I I understood COVID-19. I saw its advancement, one, through Asia, and then particularly into Italy and what was taking place there. But two weeks ago, that was when I really began to see, obviously, in America, everything change, everything switch, social distancing, the shift to everything online, getting away, drive-throughs, like thinking about the impact of us from almost like the medical point of view, protecting those at risk, protecting the immunocompromised, protecting people. This past week, though, it's been amazing to see how COVID-19, how this entire situation has continued to go. Where I almost think about it where three weeks ago it was a problem out there to a, a little over a week ago it was a problem here, but really more in terms of like, hey, how do you protect people medically? But to where this past week, I've seen in my life and the lives of my friends across the country the same things that I imagine you have, the tremendous impact this virus is having, the tremendous um, financial reality to the economy, people using words that I haven't heard in over a decade to describe things. People talking about, hey, I don't know if I still have a job. People talking about, hey, I have lost my job. People, college graduates who are coming to go, said they had the job placement and they find out the job that they thought they had is no longer there. People coming and saying, I don't know where the next paycheck will come from. There's been this huge shift from almost like medical to the past week, like, like personal seeing small business owners thinking about, okay, what are ways that I can manage cash flow so I can keep as many employees? Do I cut them now in order to save the business? Do I care for them now? If I cut them now and they go out into this economy, where are they going to find another job? It's gotten harder. That's not to say that it wasn't difficult before, and that's not to minimize the impact this virus has had globally. I'm, I'm not taking away from any of that. But from my life, and I imagine yours, the personal impact It's gone to a whole different level of challenge, a whole different level of sobriety and understanding and awareness, and still, yes, how do we live wisely and take precautions? But also now, we're beginning to almost calculate and understand, and no one really knows yet, what's going to be the real personal impact? It's gotten harder. It's gotten more challenging. Yes, there's families who they were in public school, and now they're having to scramble to figure out How do I train and educate in the house when they didn't before? There's families where right now they're in the healthcare industry and they're consistently having to go to work 
even though when they come home, their older generation or individuals at higher risk still live there and having to navigate that. It's gotten harder. It's gotten more challenging. And the part where I I get excited in that, it's both acknowledging the difficulty and the challenge of what it's been, the reality that right now, if if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the chance to live by faith, not in fear. Walk by faith, not by sight, because you don't know. Don't be anxious for tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. We get the chance to live that out. We get the chance to really grow in that. But it's gotten a little more difficult. It's gotten a little more personal, a little more sobering. And the reason I think about all that is because I knew today we were going to finish our series, You Can Change. This whole series, we've been talking about how God, he calls believers to change, to glorious. The the text we've repeatedly referenced, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's from one degree of glory to another, this change comes. What does it look like in the midst of change where you're wondering whether or not you'll get another payday or where the job is there? Or, Or perhaps you've been battling the worry and the fear and the anxiety, and then all of a sudden this kicks up, and all of a sudden the whole level that you're at in fighting against this, it's changed. So in the midst of all the world's gotten more challenging, in the midst of all circumstances are harder, how do we pursue change? Because guys, here's what's true. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I, we are called to shine brightly. First public sermon Jesus has, it's Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. The context even before that in the Beatitudes, he's talking about suffering. How the truth of a Christian life, Jesus promises in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. So guys, I'm so excited today to finish this series, You Can Change. And I'm excited because even in the midst of COVID-19, the financial fear, the healthcare crisis, the reality of what do we do with kids in schools, in summertime, in life, in jobs, you can change. I can change. And in the midst of all this, we can become increasingly holy. And I think if you're a believer in Jesus, I think that's what you want. Like, that's what I want But there's a sobering reality that in the midst of the difficulty, God still calls us to change. A simple illustration, I always think about that, is the life of Job. It's a narrative in your Old Testament. We're not going to turn there today. But it's a story of this man who walks through trials and difficulties that God sovereignly allows in his life. And there's this key phrase in chapter 23 where he says, in reference to God, God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. It speaks to this heart how in the midst of the difficulty, and guys, things have gotten more difficult. In the midst of the difficulty, God still wants to bring about a redemptive change in your life and in mine to where we look more like gold, to where we shine a little bit brighter. That's why now, in the midst of everything going on, I honestly believe ending the series, You Can Change, there's no better time. We started this series by introducing the idea of what Christians are called to and change how that's meant to mark you, it's meant to mark me, how eternal change God has always been about. After that, we went from the introduction to identification. We talked about who we are in Christ, how if you and I, if we want to know where we're going, we got to start with who we are, how saints live saintly, how Christians follow Christ, how we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're healed, we are loved, we're renewed. Identification. 
After that, we talked about our motivations. We reference why do we change? What should be the motive? What should be what you pursue? Not only knowing who you are, but what's the motive? And the first one is because God loves you. It's because of all he's done for you, how he died for you, he died for me, how he's coming back because he cares about you. And the second motive that we gave was not only because God loves you, but because God says to, how because we love God, we can trust God even when we don't understand. And how it's the call to obey even when we don't always get it. After that, my friends Stacy and Laurie Grantbauer, they came and they shared a story where they exemplified you can change in major moments and in the minor daily moments of faithfulness. After that, we talked about practically, systematically, what does change really look like? What's the grid we could run through? And we talked about how if you want to change, first thing you got to do is you got to start with your thoughts. Holiness begins in the mind, taking thoughts captive, applying them to the word of God, capturing them, cross-examining them, correcting them, and then continuing in that path of faithfulness. After that, we talked about how if you want to change, you got to kill your sin. How Christians are called to take sin seriously. We don't trifle with it. It's not superficial. We kill it. We talked about how you have to do that at the action level. It's external. We talked about how you have to do that at the internal level with your attitudes. And then the two weeks after that, we talked about how we are called to develop our faith. How you come and we use this illustration where you stand by the fire. You don't just say no to sin, no to sin, no to sin. You say yes to God. You get to know him. You get to know him by drawing near as Colossians 3 taught us, by connecting with his people, by changing who you are from the inside out in community. And then we saw how a way you change is you get to know God through his holy word. How this is something for Christians to feast on how every believer in Jesus has a unique way, a unique method, but is meant to know God through his word. We don't just read it for superficial takeaway. We study, we apply, and we ask God's help. You stand by the fire. And today I'm excited to to conclude this series by talking about how the final way we change, the reminder, the the thing that brings it all back together, despite the difficulty Despite the fear of paycheck, despite the fear of sickness, despite the fear of what might happen to a loved one, despite the frustration with the world overdoing it or frustration with the world underdoing it, how the way we keep going, how the way that we change is we realize God always finishes what he starts. It's this promise of the assurance of help. It's the assurance of enablement that comes from God, how you and I can pursue change because God helps us do it. God enables us to do it. God completes us doing it. That's what we're going to be today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to give you context. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6, but we're really going to highlight verse 6. That's really where we're going to spend the majority of our time. If you tracked with us last year through 2019, you know we worked our way through the book of Philippians. You're welcome to go back and listen to that teaching then. This one I'm going to really focus in, though, on verse 6. To give you guys a little context while you're at home, while you're turning, and and if you're at home and you're turning, like if you sincerely connect with God, right, God's Word through your phone or through an app, great, pull out that. But if you have a Bible, walk to the other room, grab it, model it for your family, open it, and turn there. That's not to shame. That's to say, let's come and let's legitimately get to know God through his word, especially when, if you've ever gathered us in our gym, it's like so dark in places and so bright in others. Sometimes you can see your Bible and sometimes you can't. So while you're at home, 
grab yours. But Philippians chapter 1, the context for that. Paul, he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi. It's a church that he planted. You see that in the book of Acts. He's writing this letter of encouragement, of celebration. It's, it's this marquee theme of joy, this marquee theme of gratitude. We'll see this in the first few verses that we'll read, but Paul, he's going to celebrate their faithfulness. He's going he's to be grateful for the fact that they've partnered with him in the ministry of the gospel. He's celebrating all the change that he's seen. He's celebrating all the growth that has come. And then in the midst of that, verse 6, he's going to give this promise of while celebrating all that God has done from one degree of glory to another, he's going to give this promise of how God carries you through. So turn with me. I'm going to start in verse 3, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read 3 through 6. I'm going to kind of walk my way talking through it, 3 through 5, and then we're going to jump into 6 a little more deeply. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. I love that. He's starting out, he's saying, hey, I thank my God in my remembrance of you. In his prayer, he has this heart of gratitude and joy when he thinks about these people, when he thinks about these followers of Christ, the change that he's seen. Because if you remember, this was a church he planted, and then it's changed. Faithfulness has grown. He's celebrating that. And then here, verse 5, he's going to give us a reason why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul looks at them and he's celebrating his gratitude and their change because they've partnered with him in the truth of God's love and what it means for him and it means for them and it means for you and it means for me. And how that is something they didn't just come, walk an aisle, say yes to, and then put on the back shelf, but it has taken hold of their life in a way to where it brings holistic change. You can change. And he gives this promise of assurance, this promise of help, this promise of guidance. And that's where I want to focus our time, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read one more time. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is perhaps a familiar verse for, for some of us, right? But in the midst of this series, you can change. So we come to cl- conclude this, where we remind ourselves of the promise of God, of what enables. We, we talked about this at the beginning. God is what enables change. We're talking about this at the end. God is what enables and empowers change. The reason you and I can change, the reason you and I can pursue faithfulness, despite the difficulty, despite the fear, despite the panic, despite circumstances, the reason we can do it It's because God finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. I love how right here we're seeing Paul remind us that God calls us to change and he helps us to do it. Paul's going to start out by sharing why he's confident in this. He says, and I am sure of this. Your Bible, it may translate it, say, I am very confident. I am absolutely confident. I am sure of What Paul's saying is when he reflects, and there were things about God that Paul did not know. There were things about God that Paul did not understand. There were things about God that Paul described as mystery, right? That we have everything that we need, but not times everything that we want in terms of understanding about God. But you know what Paul said? I have no doubt. I have no confusion. I have no worry about. God has done a great work in me, and he is doing a great work in me. And one day this work, he will finish. 
let me ask you, are you fully confident that God wants to help you change? Are you fully confident that God is with you in the midst of the change? Paul goes on and he doubles down. He's going to break it down and really show us what that means. He's sharing next what exactly that helps us change. He talks about how God, he began a good work in us. Began this word, it speaks to origin, it speaks to the source of something. And then the good work, it's actually salvation. Salvation is the moment where a person, an individual, as a gift from God, comes to believe in him. It's not where they think, okay, I can finally be this better version of myself, but it's where they finally come to realize, no, there's no better version of myself that's good enough. And he died for all of my sin, all of my foolishness. He rose from the grave. I believe this to be true. And it's from that belief that by faith, I follow. What starts to change? The first thing that Paul says was the moment of salvation. That's the first thing. The second thing that Paul says that starts to change is the next part, that God will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, that's speaking to Christ's second coming. It's the truth that he came once, that's his first advent, we celebrate Christmas, and he's coming again. We don't know when that will be, right? But when he comes back, we'll go from this point of people who believe in him, salvation, to Paul's language here is completion. To say it differently, perfection. To say it differently, glorified. So Paul is reminding them this truth. Hey, God began a great work in you. He did it. The beginning, salvation. And God is going to finish a great work in you. Perfection. What I love, though, is Paul reminds you and me the book ends. God always finishes what he starts. He gives this beautiful insight into what does God do in between. What does God do from the moment where you really believe to the moment where you go to heaven and he changes. Because I, I think so many times, here's what we as Christians, we tend to think. Like we tend to think like, yes, okay, I've, I've walked an aisle, I've checked a box, I believed, I, I sang a song at camp or I had a moment. There's salvation and it's life-changing. There's baptism, there's celebration, it's glorious. And then we think, okay, God did that. God did that, that's amazing. And then we think the rest of our life is just up to us where so many Christians or evangelicals or people who know and believe the gospel, they would come and they'd say, man, we never, we're not saved by, by spiritually pulling up our bootstraps and, and trying to do things and, and stop cussing and stop sleeping around and going to church and reading my Bible and being a different leader in the home and giving money. Like we'd say, no, that's not what saves you. Those are works. But then once we become saved, our primary view of holiness is just this internal broken mindset of try harder, try harder, try harder while we wait until one day God just looks at us in heaven and he says, you're not getting it done, I'll do it for you. This text is speaking to God's heart. What he began a good work in you, it's salvation. He will bring it to completion. In between salvation and your perfection is what we call sanctification. It's you and I growing to be more and more like Jesus. But sometimes we think that's up to us. That is a lie. The key word that you got to focus on in this text that really speaks to not only God finishes what he starts, but he carries you all the way through is the word completion. Completion, when you study this word, it speaks to a process. It speaks to what Paul referenced before in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one degree of glory to another. So it's not just that there's the moment of salvation and God tolerates you and then you die and you come before him or Jesus returns and there's perfection. 
But all along the way, he's helping in the process. One of the most convicting verses in my Bible, it's Galatians chapter 3. It's verses 2 through 3. It's the Apostle Paul. He's talking to people getting confused, not just in how to go to heaven, but those who have faith, those who are going to heaven. How do they become more heavenly? How do they become more faithful here? He asks rhetorical questions as he does this. He says, hey, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law? That's by, did you become a Christian by being a better person? Or by hearing with faith? Right? If you're wrestling with Jesus Christ, or if you're confused in your faith, here's, here's the answer to that. It's always by faith. It's always something God has done, not what we have done. His next rhetorical question is kind of mocking. He says, are you then so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's Paul counseling you and counseling me. Hey, you weren't saved by pulling up your bootstraps. You weren't saved by trying harder. You are not sanctified by trying harder. You are not sanctified by your efforts alone. It's this truth that the good work that God began in you, he loves you. He died for you. By faith, he calls you son, calls you daughter, he calls you dearly loved one, beloved heir, child. He looks at you and says, mine in eternity, you are his inheritance. He is your everything. That love, he doesn't lose until you stand in his presence. It's that love that helps you every day. It's that love that helps me every day. Guys, it's this truth that you can change because God finishes what he starts. He helps you. He enables you. He empowers you. And he brings you to completion. That's degree by degree. So many times when life is hard, we tend to forget that. Like, I think it's a broken, fallen nature. When things get hard, we just double down on, all right, I got to fix this. All right, I got to get this together. All right, it's up to me. All right, I got to figure out more income, more finances. Well, I got to figure out family and how are we going to structure the home to where we can homeschool. I got to figure this out. Like before, I was wrestling with control. I was wrestling with anxiety. But the result of that is more control and more action to reduce anxiety. And we think it's up to us. What I would share with you is there is an absolute place for effort, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the primary, the foundational truth is God started it, God helps you through it, and God will finish it. God always finishes what he started. Two weeks ago, before coronavirus and the outbreak and all that kind of stuff, I was at my community group. Right, and they're asking, hey, how's your week been? We always work through these questions, right? How'd you feed your faith? How'd you feed your flesh? How'd you feed others, right? And when it came to the flesh part, there was really an honest acknowledgement, and the group had known it, that it had just been a low week. I think it had been building in me for some time. I'd just been lower. I, I don't know if any of you ever felt like this, and I imagine that some of you have, but it just felt like one of those times in life where you're, uh, it's kind of like you're constantly taking on water in every area of your life, where you really stop and you think about things, and there's no real area where you feel like you're getting it done, there's no real area where you feel like you're excelling. You're behind the eight ball on everything. This would be um, being a dad, spiritual disciplines, um, my, my marriage with my wife, like caring for the springs. It wasn't that anything was in like a, a dangerous place. But it was that none of it just felt like it was thriving. Like the abundant life that Jesus talked about. When I, when I would think about these categories, I just thought, where's the abundance? 
my group, they gave me phenomenal counsel. We talked through it. They shared. They, they connected with me on it. And they shared great things like, one, just not only who you are in Christ, but reminders of, hey, John, have you thought about this with your calendar? Have you thought about some ways to structure? So much of that for me had been a habitual violation of the Sabbath, which is offensive to God. And he was calling me to repent. And them coming and helping me set up different things in my life and try to bring change, holy change. It was great. I can remember sitting with them, though, and it wasn't what they were saying, but it was what I was hearing. It was what I was feeling. It was my, my broken internal compass. As they were saying all these right things for me to do, it just felt like, hey, you're not doing things well enough, so the answer is try harder. Again, that's not what they were saying. That's what it felt like. Like, that's what I was hearing. Do more. Be better. Guys, again, I, I have to caveat, there's a place for effort, but I was fundamentally wrong. That was a false truth. That was a lie that in that moment, the reality, the bedrock truth that leads to change, the bedrock truth that navigates in me, this idea of, no, I can change. I can shift. I can feel more thriving. I can feel more abundance. I cannot get out from feeling behind the eight ball all the time. It comes from realizing God will help me that he's seen the whole story, he knows the whole context, he gets the whole story, he knows new dad, he knows all of that. And he looks at me and he's not saying, hey, get it together, man. He looks at me and he says, I'll help you. Like he is my ultimate good Samaritan. He jumps in the ditch, he helps me. And it was this reminder, this realization that no, man, the primary move, the foundational thing is not try harder. The truth that I need to remind myself of is resting in. He helps me. He enables me. He empowers me. And he knows me on my worst day and he has my back. He always finishes what he starts. So even when I'm having a week where I feel like I'm missing it, I'm not a miss. That week's not a failure. Why? God's helping me. Guys, you can change but the motivation that keeps you changing in the good times and in the bad is this assurance of help, this assurance of guidance, this, the promises of God speaking to you. He finishes what he starts. He started in you love, chosen, forgiven, loved, cherished, beloved. He started that. He's gonna finish that. There's no way my daughter Lily, there's no way my son Trip, there's no way my wife Taylor, if they came out of love and they said, hey, can you help me? Here's what I'm thinking about, that it wouldn't be absolutely. Why? My love for them was not just a one-time thing. My love for them is a constant thing. That's how God feels about you. That's how he feels about me. Understanding that truth, this assurance of guidance, fuels. This is where we're going to talk about effort. Action. See, our effort, our actions, they are not foundational, but they are supplemental. They are not primary but they are associated, they are secondary. If you go on and we were to read the book of Philippians, or you can go back and listen to the sermon series, here's what you'd see, especially in chapters three and four, is the apostle Paul, he starts out here, hey, God carries you through. You would see repeatedly, command, 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 action, 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 obey, obey, obey. After God has pleaded with them to remember his love, his kindness, and who they are, in him. 
But knowing that, we don't forsake our part. It's this truth that God finishes what he started, but because we have that assurance, we are never passive. We never step back. Because I think Christians, we can miss it in a few different ways here. We, we can come and either say, it's all up to us, where we become these legalistic, pharisaical people who think, it's all up to me, I gotta fix me, I'm my own problem. We forsake the power and the role of God, the Holy Spirit in our life. That's one error. The other error comes, and when you think about it, the other error comes from this reality of we try and we do and we connect and we think all these things on our own. The other one is we come is when we're passive, where we abuse the sovereignty of God, where we say, no, he's, he's sovereign, he'll do it. I don't have to share my faith. God will do it. Right? God's already forgiven me. It doesn't matter if I cross boundaries. Like, God will protect my kids. It doesn't matter if I really lead in the home. God knows that I love my wife. It doesn't matter that I cherish, pursue, and nourish her. God, God really does it in me, so if I don't want to read my Bible, that's really God. Both of those are sinful errors. The assurance of God fuels an action in us, not a passivity. That's why the rest of the book of Philippians are these calls and these commands and these asks. So guys, how do we apply this? How do we apply you can change in the truth that God finishes what he starts? We can apply these things by realizing, by trusting him. You trust this truth. You trust the reality that though you and I engage on this journey of life where there are ups and there are downs, there are good days and there are bad, it is like a, a valley, a mountainous range that you traverse until glory. That because of Jesus Christ, you are assured victory. But because you are assured victory, because he finishes what he starts, you take another step. You take another step. You take another step. Our effort, it's secondary. What is primary? The enabling love of God. Guys, right now, I really believe we have a tremendous opportunity to, in the midst of darkness, shine bright. To, in the midst of everyone else, in panic and in fear and in, self, in selfishness and self-preservation, we have a huge opportunity to show what, what the, the disciples showed in Acts 2, where God's establishment of his church, his people thereof, came and they committed to God's word, the fellowship with one another, not forsaking the gathering, the breaking of the bread, the teaching of the word, the sharing with one another, the having everything in common. We can change I know right now, all of us in fallen nature, we want a result and kind of focus in on our own world. No, 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 that's not change. Because we have help from him. We go external. We think beyond. That's what leads to me being a different husband, a different father, a different friend, a different community group member, a different pastor, a different son. That's what makes me a different follower of Jesus. When I realize that God in heaven has helped me every step of the way. That while, yes, there's effort, that effort is always followed by his love. There's a verse that makes me think about this that I want to share with you guys, and then I'm going to close. The verse, it's Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verse 29. I think it does this really great uh, juxtaposition of God's truth and how we're called to change, how he finishes what he starts. Paul says this, the context here is he's talking about his ministry, faithful proclamation of the gospel. He says this, for this I toil, 
That's laboring. He says, for this I toil, struggling. So those are the language, toil, struggle. For this I toil, I struggle. With what? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Church, you can change. God powerfully works within you. But it's from that power, it's from that love, it's from that care that you pursue him. You can change. I can change. I love this, guys, because this is something that you've seen all throughout your Bible. Like, if you open this, you see things constantly. You see a group of people. You you could pick Abraham, Joseph, Moses, uh, David, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, John, Mark, Virgin Mary, Mary Magdalene. You, You could pick them all. And you see imperfect people fighting by faith, trusting in God to traverse life, the good and the bad. Fighting for change, not for themselves, for the glory of God. Fighting for change. And so many times, I think we think, well, yeah, that was for them. Those are for other folks, man. That's not for me. God in heaven wants you to know. On your couch, on your home, the parts of you that you don't think can change, that's a lie. He wants to change it. The marriage the financial stewardship, your selfishness that keeps you from going and serving, your laziness that keeps you from being disciplined, the insecurity that cripples you from actually getting to know God when he says, I'll take you just as you are, the past trauma that you refuse to forgive, that you act like you're fine, but it's your baggage. All of that, he says, I can change it. I can make you a better employee, an honest worker, better steward. So many times I think we think that's for other people. We think that's for folks here. When the reality is, guys, God is changing people all the time. He is constantly looking to change me. He's constantly looking to change you. Even as I thought about this, I sat down and I wrote out just a list of folks, right? A list of situations where I've seen God change. And this has changed in like two months, I sat down with our staff and prepped for this, and we started thinking about all the engagements, all the situations, and one of the staff members said, no, man, it's honestly kind of countless how many folks he's changed in even a short window. Now, the reality is is we could probably count them if we really tried, but what I'm saying there is God is doing things, and he wants to do it in you, and he wants to do it in me. This is everything from the dad who started leaning into conflict and spiritual discipline in his life And it brought blessing to his family. It brought blessing to his friends. There's been a legitimate change. This is to a family, to a couple who finally took confession of sin, coming all out and repentance of it, to where their marriage was completely on the ropes, on the brinks. If this doesn't fix it, nothing will. And then walking by faith, trusting in God, and now pursuing real, connected intimacy. They said, I'll do it. This comes from people sending uh, messages and notes after the discussion on, hey, if you want to grow, you must abide in your faith. And part of abiding is connecting with God through his word, sitting down, studying, asking God to show them through the text, what does this mean to me? How should I live? What would you do in my life? Bringing change. This has come from a guy trusting Christ while sitting on a, a lunch bench outside after he and another made choices and decisions to walk by faith fight against codependency and end a relationship when everyone else knew they should, but for them it was the hardest thing to do. They trusted God. This comes in couples who are set to be married, deciding to move out and to walk by faith, trusting in him. Came from friends 
navigating tragedy, trying to figure out how to sing in the midst of pain and find hope in the midst of sorrow. This came from uh, community groups showing up and saying, hey guys, if we're not going to actually take this serious, and here's what seriousness looks like, if, if we're going to actually not take this serious, then I'm not going to call you in self-righteousness, but I'm going to tell you we are not pursuing righteousness. So we either up the game or I'm out. And God bless them for doing it. This came from uh, couples fighting to wrestle with how, how do single problems not stay in my single life, but they have this tendency to also come into marriage, right? And then we show up in marriage and we think we'd be fine, then we realize we're not. And so how do you come and by the power of God bring healing and redemption to every situation and every strength? This came from people right, who have never prayed in public for fear, for insecurity, for thinking they'll say the wrong thing, even though they're talking to their father. They can't say the wrong thing. And they prayed publicly for the first time. I sat in a circle, and they were led and discipled on how to do that. This came from community groups fighting to think through, okay, what if one of us financially hurts? How do we respond? How is my emergency fund not just for me, but for others, how far does this go? Why? They had all things in common. This comes from young men and young women deciding, hey, I want to take faithfulness seriously in my singleness. I'm not going to waste it. And I'm not going to pursue relationships because I'm lacking a sense of validation, because I'm lonely. I'm going to pursue them out of holiness because he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But while I search for the bride, while I search for the husband, hey, I'm going to steward this well and not feel like a second-class spiritual citizen. This has come where people said for the first time, hey, I need to confess. This has come where people have said for the first time in a long time, hey, I need to confess. This has come when the people examine their resources and some, some resources that came in at the end of the year and they stopped and they thought about this isn't my money. This is God's. God, where would you have me give this? You're the giver of everything. My giving is a demonstration of gospel faith and belief. Your will be done. Guys, this looks like the people who've realized, and I think this is me, who realized worry is far more part of my life than what I wish it was. Like, by faith means there's this strength, but I have this tendency to still worry in fighting to crucify that enemy by trusting in God knows what I need. God wants to give me what I want, and he is always with me. That is the antidote to my worry. Guys, he's changing people nonstop. Nonstop. But do you know who the people he wants to change? It's everyone. But the people who he does this with are the people who lean in. Other people say, God, you're looking to change somebody. Change me. You'll carry me to completion. You finish what you start, but you can change. So God, help me. Remind me who I am in you, what you've done in my life. Remind me my motive is the fact that you love me. That on a cross, you saw me in all of my sin and said, forgive John. Forgive them. They know not what they do. You were forsaken by the Father. You rose from the grave three days later. And now you plead with me. You want to treat me as a son or as a brother. And you plead with me to just believe. The motivations. It's realizing you've got to change the way you think. You have to discipline yourself to change the way you think. You've got to kill your sin. 
here at the Springs, we're going to take two things really seriously. Why? Because we're going to take discipleship seriously. We're going to take seriously growing in faith, falling in love with God, and we will take seriously killing our sin. Why? Exactly what he says to do. And guys, how do we keep going? How do we persevere? How do we continue? No matter the difficulty, no matter the hardship, it's this reminder. He finishes what he starts. I've had a helper, always, but I've had a helper since the moment of faith. If you believe in Jesus, so have you. If you're thinking about change and you don't know Jesus or the idea of a God in heaven who loves you, who forgives you, who delights in you, who cherishes you, if that doesn't make sense, here's what you need to know. The way you have a relationship with this God, the true God, is you believe in him. You believe this to be true, and then from that belief, what do you do? You come, you get connected, you you tell the people on the couches around you, you reach out, and we help disciple you to grow in faith, because here's what's true. God loves you as you are, but his love doesn't leave you there. You can change. So can I. Church, we've got a huge opportunity to do this. We want to be faithful for such a time it's this. I want to shine. Let me pray that we would. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the reality of what you've done in my life and the lives of people, how you're bringing change. God, would you keep changing? Would you keep going? Would you do more? Lord, may the anthem of our souls be do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Bring more change. Make me more humble. Make me more patient. Make me more self-controlled. Make me more disciplined. Make me more yielded. Make me more courageous. Maybe more thoughtful. Make that of this church. May we be the most generous, faithful, servant-minded, community-committed, God-fearing, gospel-preaching people. Make us that. We need your help to do it, God. We want to run in the way of your commandments, but we know we do that as you enlarge our heart. We thank you that you finish what you start. Please keep doing that in us. We love you. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for gathering with us online. Again, no matter what come in the week ahead, have a great week of worship. We'll see you soon.